That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, the, uh, the late Dwight L. Moody once said, let us not be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. I would argue that this really isn't a problem in our culture today. Um, the, as Pastor Kenny, who was the former pastor at Good Shepherd, who sent us out as a church, actually said once, I'm afraid I haven't met that person yet. Um, and, you know, just kind of thinking about this quote, and it's, it's quoted a lot uh, about being focused on the things of earth, uh, and that there's some, some truth in that. However, what he was saying is, what Pastor Kenny was even saying was, that our issues, not that we're too heavenwardly focused. Uh, in all honesty, we're probably the opposite. But something that I was, I was praying about this as I was looking at this scripture in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, I started thinking about our destination. We'll see this in verse 4, our destination of heaven, right? And we're, we know where we're going to be going as believers in Christ. But we must know where we're going in order to make the right directional choices to get there, right? Uh, it, it helps us make decisions as we are moving forward to know where we're going to end up. Uh, if you're going to, to Florida, you, you, you don't just say, hey, I wouldn't just say, hey, you know, let's, we're going to go on vacation. All right, John, I'm, I'll, I'll meet you there. And I don't tell you where I'm going. Hey, man, I, we're going to go, I'm going to meet you there. I'll see you, see you in a couple weeks. Uh, and I'll see, you know, just, just pack your stuff, get ready to go, and let's go. Right, we, he may end up in Arizona. He may end up in California. He, may, he doesn't know what direction he is going. And so this kind of came to my mind here. You can only know what direction you are to go if you know the destination in which you are heading. So you can only know the direction you are to go if you know the destination in which you are heading. And as we come to decisions in life, and we're going to go into this a little bit more detail, and unless we are focused on eternity, unless we know our destination, unless we know what really, really matters, well, the directions or the decisions that we make aren't going to make much sense. Uh, we're going to struggle with being nearsighted, just seeing what's in front of us, right, uh, instead of seeing eternity in mind. And I pray that as we study the scripture, we can see the, the benefit of, being, of having higher thoughts, of being heavenly minded. So join me as we read God's word here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time to be able to, to spend studying it. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to preach your word. God, may it be your word that's preached, not my word. Uh, Lord God, open up our hearts and minds to hear it. Help it to change us from the inside out. May we not just nod in agreement to your word because we, we don't really want to argue with it because it's, it's not kosher to, to, to argue with God. But may we be obedient to it. May we take it. May it change us from the inside out. May it change our our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, our decisions. And may we leave today, this morning, uh, changed for the better by your word. Not by my word, but by your word, God. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So today we're going to discuss three ways that we should think heavenward in a biblical way. So number one, you should think heavenward because your Lord is above. Because your Lord is above. I'm going to reread verses one and two. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. I'm sure we've all heard of if-then statements, right? If you do this, then this will happen, right? If you, you know, there's if-then. It's like a cause and effect kind of thing. And Paul starts this off with if-then, right? And so what's he talking about if? Like if we have to rewind a little bit to to, uh, chapter 2, we have to realize this is a letter. It's written in contiguous fashion. We're not to just take it apart. So we have to see what he meant by if. And so he's just finished talking about what it means to be qualified, not disqualified, and he's just talked about how Christ surpasses everything else, and our lives are all about Christ. And so then he goes into the, 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 the fact then, if you believe that stuff, then you've been raised with Christ, right? And that means that we're saved. We're born again believers. The old has gone. The new has come. But when we come to this verse, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. And I think we come to two important questions when we get to that, that uh, the command there, seek the things that are above. So first off, what does it mean to seek? So what does Paul mean when he says seek the things that are above? And, and second, what are things that are above? And so let's start with that first question. Uh, what does it mean to seek? And this word seek is written in the imperative present tense. And for those of you who are like English, unlike me, you're like, oh man, I love, I love when he says things like that. For those of you who are science majors like me, you're like, I don't know what that means. So I'm going to explain it for us. I had to read this. So um, it means something that we should be doing already and something that we should keep doing, right? So it may be better translated, keep seeking. It's a continuous action that should have already been happening, right? And it means to set one's sights on and to keep wanting, uh, if, if we're trying to see that. So now that we see that we're to seek and what that means to kind of keep going, keep seeking, keep setting your mind on this, keep thinking on this, well, then what are things that are above and that's a, that's a hard question to answer when you really think about it. But I think the, the best way to start there is like the qualities of Christ. So, so things that are, qualities of Christ would be things that we should set our minds on. And things like uh, wisdom and purity, tenderness and strength, forgiveness and mercy, love and righteous judgment. However, the most important thing we can seek that is above is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, so there's nothing higher than, than Jesus Christ. He is resurrected and at the right hand of the Father. And we're going to bring a couple of parallel scriptures here, too, to see why we should seek Christ first above all. So when we're setting our minds on, abo- on things that are above, this is why Christ should be number one. And the first point, point we have here, out of many points that we could go into, but that we see here, we should see Christ who is our sustainer. We should see Christ who is our sustainer. And Jesus actually mentioned this more clear than anyone in scripture. In Matthew six thirty three. he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He is our sustainer, our provider. He sustains us with energy, sustains us with clothes. He, he clothes the, the, you know, the, the, the flowers. He, he feeds the birds, right? So how much more does he care for, for us when we're looking at that? So we're to seek the things that are above and that he will be our sustainer and provider. Uh, next we see that we should seek Christ who is supreme. We should seek Christ who is supreme. So if we look at, at Colossians, if we just saw Colossians 3, 1, it says that he is seated at the right hand of God. And I know we've mentioned that a lot, you know, and I'll even say that a lot. You know, Jesus raised from the dead, and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And, and sometimes people are like, well, what does that really mean, that he's at the right hand of the Father? Because we know that the Trinity, God is one God, three persons. What that means is that he is preeminent. The right hand was, was the place of power, 
you know, your right-hand man, your right-hand, you know, whatever. It was the place of, of exaltation. This person is above everyone here, right? This, this is the leader. This is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the prince of peace. That's what it means. He is supreme. He is preeminent above all, as we talked about in Colossians 1 and a little bit in 2 as well. Uh, the psalmist actually pointed to this supremacy in Psalm 110. One, uh, you see David write, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. So as the, as the, the psalmist so directly set, said here, he's at the right hand, he is supreme, and not only is he supreme, but all of his enemies are under his feet. He, he, is, he is above all. He is wonderful, right? So is there anything better we can set our minds on than the king of kings and the one who is our sustainer and our provider? Then we get to verse 2, and it says, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So now Paul has just exalted Christ. It's been very Christocentric. He's saying, hey, Jesus is our hand of the Father. Set your mind on things that are above. Obviously, Christ is above. Let, let's worship him. And now we see a practical point here. Set your minds. So now we've, we've kind of taken it from seek, look toward. Now set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are earth, on earth. Paul's just trying to, he's trying to make it more practical on a day-to-day -day level here how you follow Jesus Christ on a day-to-day -day level. So not only should you seek Christ, but you should also think and set your minds on things that are above. So how do we apply that principle to our lives? How do we take this thought, okay, yeah, I hear you, Pastor. You know, you're saying, hey, seek Jesus, set your mind on Jesus, think about good things, think about heavenly things, think about, you know, Christ. Well, how does that, how does that play out in our lives day-to-day? -day? Well, as we start off our sermon we must know our eternal destination so that we know what direction to go, so that we know what, what choices to make, what we're supposed to do, right? And a few practical examples of how this would look is when we go to buy a vehicle. Think about when, after I purchase that vehicle, how's that going to affect my giving to the kingdom of God? When we go to buy a house, we think about how's that going to affect my giving toward missions? Um, when, we, when we go to move somewhere, how, how are we going to reach our community? Or where are we supposed to move? Where's the Lord trying to put us, right? How we spend our money, how we spend our time is paramount to how we worship God. It, it is such a direct correlation. So a barometer measures atmospheric pressure. I know, I know Gene over there, he, he definitely understands barometer with his inner ear stuff going on and things. He knows when the pressure's going to change. He comes to me, he's like, yeah, it's going to rain today. Or it's gonna, he, he, he can tell better than probably a real barometer out there. And so the barometer of our lives is, is, our, is our finances a lot of times and is our time. So when you look at somebody, how they spend their money, how they spend their time, how they, how they think, how, what, what they set their minds on is a good way to see, is the pressure right or not? Is, is it more of an earthly pressure or is it more of a heavenly pressure? Is it, is it a, a, on, the, on the good side of the spectrum here or is it on the bad side of the spectrum? It's very, very important to look at your life and, and judge it accordingly, saying, okay, when, I, when I'm looking at what I'm thinking about, what, I'm, what am I spending more time on? Uh, when I look at my week, how I plan my week, how do I spend that? Do I think about what I can do, what I want to do, where I want to go? Does, do all my sentences start with the word I? Do they all end with the letters M-E at the end? Or is it all about Jesus Christ, right? And that, that, that's a tough measurement sometimes to be able to figure out. So we need to live our lives with purpose, right? And, and that purpose needs to be all about glorifying God and making much of Christ. It needs to not be all about what we want to do. It needs to not all be, be about how we feel. 
uh, you know, what, what our preferences are, uh, where, where we want to spend our money, spend our time. It's all about seeking the Lord. And as decisions come, may we set our, our hearts, our minds on things that are above. May we look at eternal significance as we make these directional choices, these decisions of how to spend our money, how to spend our time, where to invest our lives, what church to be a part of, what groups to be a part of, uh, who to call, all of those things, every decision we make, may we think higher, not just this is what I want to do, this is, I just don't feel like doing that today. I know, I'm, I, know, I know the Lord wants me to do this, but I just don't want to. You know, may we not think that way or what, you know, our own preferences, but may we think our first question needs to be, Lord, what do you want me to do? Right? God, what car do you want me to buy? God, what, what house do you want me in? Uh, God, what do you want my kids involved in? You know, uh, those activities, right? There's so many decisions that we, that we make. And, and sadly, we live in this humanistic and individualistic culture. And it pretty much says, have it your way, right? You deserve a break today. All, all the slogans that we hear from the media, from, from advertisements, it's all about exalting your decisions and what you want, and you deserve this, right? And it all feeds into that. And sadly, it's hard to find people who are other-centered and most of all Christ-centered and not self-centered because our natural American self, like this is just our culture, is let's, I got to get mine. You talk to like athletes and they'll talk about getting paid, right? And they don't care if three people get cut on the team so that they can get their salary, but they're going to get theirs, right? It's all about this. I'm going to watch out for me and mine instead of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exalt Christ. And h- how do we live our lives? Are we living in the, I'm going to make sure I get mine. I'm going to make sure I, I'm taken care of. Are we looking at first and foremost, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to spend my time? How do you want me to spend my money? Because it's your money and it's your time. Every breath that I have comes from you. It's not mine. It's yours. My kids, they're not mine, right? So, so it's not my prerogative to say, well, I want him to be this or I want her to be this. It's God, what do you want from them? What do you want them to be involved in, right? God does give us good gifts. He is a blessing, blessing God, a blessing God. In James 1, 17, we see that he, he does give us good gifts. He gives us rest. He gives us vacations. He gives us those things, and those are wonderful, but our life shouldn't be marked by that, right? Our, our life should be to the point where we need that vacation because we poured ourselves out as a drink offering, as Paul says. I, he poured himself out, and he poured himself, and Jesus did that, right? And he would pour himself out to the point where he would need a break, and he would go and get away and spend time with the Father. He would have his vacations, right? Staycations, we'll call them, uh, that he would do. And so we, and we do need that. But I pray that we're a church that ultimately is heavenly-minded and not self-minded, self-centered, and that our thinking is higher thinking, that when we make our decisions, that we're not just thinking about pleasure, that we're not just thinking about what will make me feel good, what, what will bring me the, the most happiness. You know, that's another thing, another lie that we hear from our culture. Do what makes you happy. No, do what makes you holy, right? We are to be holy. We are to be set apart, that's what that word means. We're not to be like the world. We're not to make decisions like everybody else makes. Others should look at your decisions and be like, I don't know why he just did that. You know, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you not do this? Because you'd make a lot more money. Why don't you do this? Because, you know, just look at how great this is. That's what everybody else is doing. Now, people should look at you and scratch their head and say, I don't know why that he or she makes those decisions, but they have a strong conviction, and I don't really know what it is, but they, they do that. May we be that kind of church where people look at us and say, they don't really understand why they do what they do. That's a good thing. We we're thinking higher at that point. And number two, you should think heavenward because your life is above. Because your life is above. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Man, that is, 
That's tough. So first off, we, we, we've kind of seen why we need to be heavenward in orientation. Because we're dead. <laughs> the old us has died. Uh, you know, so like we talked about before, the new us has been raised with Christ. We're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Uh, we see this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I think it's pretty clear there that our old life should be dead. Uh, our flesh, like you know, what, what our desires are without Christ, should be put to death. Sadly, although we are born again in the Spirit, our flesh is still there fighting. And you see Paul talk about it in Romans, how he doesn't do what he want, wants to do and how he does what he doesn't want to do. And the flesh is just, just fighting his spirit at all times. And we see you know, the, the, the flesh, or, the, or the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is so weak. You know, we want to do what's right. The desire's there, the spirit's there, but the flesh is fighting. And so we're going to have to fight that. We've got to continually die to our flesh. That is true. And I think we get that. Okay, we're supposed to be moving forward. You know, the old us is dead. I get that. But, but what does this mean whenever, whenever he says your life is hidden with Christ? What, what does that exactly mean? What about this word hidden? And this word hidden is crypto, is the, um, uh, the Greek word there if we're looking through. And it means to conceal, to keep secret, hidden, and made invisible. And you kind of scratch your head like, what, where's he going with that? Where's he going with your life is hidden with Christ? And what he's saying is when you become a believer, when you're born again, the old you is dead, the new you has been raised. But here's the thing, your neighbors, people around you, they're still seeing your flesh and bones, right? They're not seeing your new life that's hidden in Christ. So when they watch you, they're going to be like, I don't get it. Like, he or she still looks the same. Uh, their face isn't glowing like Moses when he came down from the mountain. You know, it's not like that they are walking, you know, they're, they're you know, te- able to teleport or they're, they're, they're floating, at, you know, you know hover, uh, on a hoverboard you know, everywhere they go. They don't look more holy. Uh, nothing looks different about them. But then they're going to scratch their head because all of a sudden decisions you make are going to look a little different. The way you maybe act is going to look a little different. What you say is going to look a little different. And that still small voice that you start to hear, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, as we see in, you know, 1 Kings 19 with Elijah, uh, it's not always this booming voice that comes from God. A lot of times that's still a small voice. Don't do that. Don't go there. Uh, Don't spend your money like that. And you hear that, or do this. You know, I want you to go talk to them about Jesus. I want you to, you know, those kind of things we're going to have. They're going to scratch their head and be like, why are they making these decisions? Why are they doing what they're doing? And it's because you're a new person, and, and, and it's hidden. It's hidden from the world. The world doesn't understand it. They, they don't get it. The things of the Word, uh, the, thing, the things of God are, are spiritually discerned, and, and they're going to see you just, okay, you're still a person. Like, why are they acting different? As Warren Wearsby said, pointed out, hidden in Christ means security and satisfaction. So unbelievers aren't going to understand that you, that you feel secure even when things are tumultuous around you, right? So we live in a pretty crazy world right now. We just finished part of the COVID pandemic. Who knows what's in the future? You know, it's like it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And if you find your security in Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, you're, you're not ever going to feel secure. Uh, so, so don't do that. Find your security in God. Uh, you know, we also see um, supply chain shortages. Maybe you can have toilet paper this year. Maybe not. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know, uh, we, we see the stock market just like a roller coaster. One day it's, oh, it's good. No, it's not. No. And so there's all these uncertainties that we're seeing. 
And now we're seeing this war that's wage, waging in Ukraine right now that could move forward, right? It could spread further. We could get involved. We don't know what happens. And so for the natural man and woman, those that are not founded in Christ, this is a scary, scary time. And for those that, that don't believe in a sovereign God who is overall, it's a pretty scary time. And, and, and I can see how that can even affect us who are Christians. But we can, we can state Romans 8, 28. Everything is going to work out for the good of those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Who are called according to his purpose. So even in suffering, I'm not saying that, that war's not going to come home, that, that, that we're not going to be a part of that, that we're not going to be, I'm not going to say supply chain issues aren't going to affect us. Anybody tried to buy a car recently? It's pretty tough. So it's going to affect you some way, uh, or your peanut butter, or whatever you're trying to buy at the store. It, it's hard to find things, right? What I am saying is God will sustain you, and he will care for us. So we don't have to be, uh, to worry about that. We can fully realize the peace of God because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. That life hidden with Christ, that life comes with a blessing called the fruit of the Spirit, as we've talked about before in Galatians 5, 22 through 23. One of those is peace. And so the world should see that peace in you and should see even when things seem pretty hectic, they seem like they're crazy, your life is in, your life is heaven bound. You know that you're secure, that you know what destination you're going to. So when you make those decisions on earth, you're able to make them with eternity in view, not in just the temporal, not in just, oh, I need to make sure I preserve this, or I need, I want to make sure I keep these comforts. I mean, you know, we can make those decisions. There's wisdom in some of that, but we don't need to worry that way because God holds our future, right? We're able to rest in the satisfaction of Christ as well, right? And unbelievers may not understand how your satisfaction can be not directly linked to your stuff and to your situations and circumstances. You know, your satisfaction in life, you can be in a, a bad relationship, and still have peace and satisfaction. And you can still be fulfilled in Christ. You, know, you can be in a, bad f- in a family that just d- is very dysfunctional, and yet you can still be satisfied in Christ and fulfilled and peaceful. You, you can be at a job that's just a horrible, horrible job, but you can still find satisfaction and fulfillment because of Christ. And the world can look at you and say, man, your life stinks. You know, you've had a rough go at it. Things are just going bad time and time and time again. Why do you keep following this Jesus? He seems like he's just leaving you out to dry. Like, you know, like, I don't understand what you're doing. But yet, they look at you and they're like, man, you still seem so peaceful. You still seem fulfilled. You still seem like things are going okay for you, even though things are, are a mess in your life. Well, it's because our life is hidden in Christ. They, don't, they can't see the peace that we have inside. We must fully realize the promises of God, right? That peace and that patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is nothing more satisfying if we're trying to find satisfaction. There's nothing more satisfying than a right relationship with our Savior. Nothing more fulfilling than a right relationship with our Savior. Brothers and sisters, we should think heavenly because our life is above. We're going to discuss the future glory of what that looks like in our last point here in just a moment. But let, let us not miss that it's not just all about looking to our destination. It's, it's about realizing that that destination is guaranteed and that we are, are already in a right relationship with God once we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repented of our sins. So it's, not, it's great to be heavenwardly bound, thinking, uh, to have higher thoughts. That's great. But it's not one of these kind of things where it's like, oh, life is awful right now, but we have hope for the future. That's great. Life, you know, it's that Eeyore syndrome where it's like nobody knows what I'm going through. You know, we, we don't have to live that Eeyore life, Right? We can be joyful even when we're not happy. We can have peace even when things are tumultuous, right? Because uh, that eternal life is a guarantee. That destination, it's not like we're going to get lost 
We may make some directional errors, and God will have to convict us and rebuke us and sometimes discipline us, which is not very fun. Been there many times. That two by four at the back of the head, sometimes I, I have to get taken behind the woodshed because I'm a stubborn, stiff-necked person at times, and he has to be a little bit more uh, uh, direct with me at times. But, but yet he will continue to put us back on that path if we are true believers, and we, that destination is there. And that relationship, he didn't just say, hey, here's a GPS, see what happens, right? He gives us his word, which gives us a lot of directional choices, a lot of decisional uh, input here, but he gives us a spirit that walks along this, this whole journey with us, and we're not alone. We, we're, we're, no, we're not making decisions blindly, and we're able to enjoy that right relationship with Christ even as we move toward that destination so that we make those decisions, we can walk with him. I pray that we, we continue to walk, walk this life on earth with an eternal perspective and focus on the one who is eternal. And finally, you should think heavenward because your land is above. Because your land is above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul ends these four verses with this amazing statement. It's a statement that kind of flies right in the face of this so-called Christian subculture that says, hey, just add Jesus in to what you're already doing. You know, just have him sign off on your life right? Here's, here's your plans. Here's where you're at. Just, just ask him to come along. He's your co-pilot. Just, just, just see what happens. And this, like this Christian, so-called Christian individualism that is so prevalent in our culture today, it's all about you. It's all about your happiness. It's all about your wealth. It's all about your health. It's all about all those things. Now, Paul says, no, no. When Christ, who is your life, it's not you have your life and Christ is added on. No, Christ is your life. Man, that is, that's a tough, tough statement. Christ is your life. He, he's not to be placed in a box, and this is my Jesus box, this is my work box, this is, we've talked about this before, I think, and, you know, th- this is my family box, this is, oh, it's my play boxes, and, and I'm gonna, I'll pick Jesus up out of this one every Sunday, and I'll go to church, you know, I, I did my thing, but now I'm gonna go do what I'm gonna do elsewhere. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to close that box, going to put him back in there, and I'm going to keep going and do, doing what I want to do. That's not how that works, right? Jesus is your life. There is no box. There are no boxes. Everything should be together, and Christ is your life. Everything that he wants you to do is what matters. He's not somebody we go to occasionally when we need help. He's not our, you know, get-out-of-jail-free card. He's not, he's not, you know, we're not going to use him like that. Because your life is not your own. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says this so well. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Friends, you know what that price was. He took the punishment that you deserved on the cross, that I deserved on the cross, and he died on that cross for us. He paid the penalty for us. He bought us back. Not brought us. He bought us back from hell, from death. And now we're able to have eternal life with him. So your life is not your own. The decisions that you make need to be made that way. You are not your own. You are Christ. And so when you make those decisions of where you're going to go, what you're going to do, what you're going to buy, those things all need to go through the lens of Christ because he is your life. You have no life if it's not for Christ. Your life, your eternal life will be eternal death and hell without Jesus Christ. So you need to live as such. And, and Paul said it even more directly in Philippians 1.21 which we just went through one of the, like my last books, a couple of books ago. For me to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. Man, uh, that is, that's a rebuke to us today. You know, a lot of times for us to live, what, what does it mean to live the good life? Uh, you know, most of us wouldn't say to die for Christ. You know, it's like, oh, it's just to, to, to die, that'd be gain. That'd be the good life. Let me just die or let me just pour myself out as a drink offering. And finally, getting back to our verse. At the end here, it says, So when Christ, who is your life, appears, what's it say then? Then you also will appear with him in glory. Hmm. When Christ appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Friends, vindication is coming for us. You know, right now, the world sees us and they're like, man, these people are crazy. It doesn't make any sense why they would give some of their money uh, and why they would want to fellowship and get together and meet on Sunday morning when they could sleep in after partying all night Saturday. Like, this just doesn't make any sense. Why are people doing this? Like, you know, I mean, think about the vacations they could take if they didn't tithe or give money to the church. Think about what they could buy for themselves. They could probably have a nicer ride. They could probably have a bigger house. Like, why are they giving to this, this church? Why are they giving to missions? Why are they sending people to lands that don't even want them there in the first place, right? Why do they send people to Africa or to Asia or this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. And so those things bring misunderstandings. They bring, they bring persecutions. Uh, they, they bring condemnation. Like, these people are just dumb. Like, what is wrong with people that are church people? They waste so much time and money and energy and serving. Like, why are they going out in their community and doing stuff for people? Like, what are they doing? Why do they help each other out? You know, like we need to live in a world. We just need to take care of ours, you know. And we get personal attacks, right? We get personal attacks because we believe the word of God. And so not only do they not understand those things, but then they're like, and then they, they, they read this thing that, that disagrees with our culture. It says that marriages need to look this way. It says that child rearing needs to look this way. It says that gender is, is fixed because God created it that way. And so then there's hate that's thrown at us, right? Because we believe what God says and not what man says. But vindication's coming. One day Christ will come and we will be vindicated. The truth will be revealed to everyone. One day, when, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of those who have lived in direct opposition, all of those who have gotten up and said, sin is right, this is, they will be forced on their knees and say they were wrong. Jesus Christ is king. We can, we can rest in that vindication knowing that that as we live, as we struggle, as we get, are misunderstood, as we are persecuted, as we are slandered by the world that says that we hate people, despite the fact that we love them more than the world does, we love people as Christians. We love because he first loved us, and we love enough to speak the truth. It is not loving to look at your neighbor who is living a sinful lifestyle and say, oh, you're good. That's fine that you want to marry someone of the same sex. That's okay. Oh, it's fine that you, you don't discipline your children or don't teach them about the Lord and let them find their own way. That's okay. No, no, that's not fine. That's hate. That's saying, yeah, it's cool that you're going to hell. It's cool that you're trying to send your kids there too. You know, like that is, that is damnation. That is a horrible way to treat people. You, you are literally condemning them saying, yeah, keep going, keep going. And Romans 1 at the end, it actually says that not only do people do those bad things, do those things that are against the word of God, but they approve of those who do so also. They're gonna, they're gonna, even those who approve of those are going to actually inflict it, maybe even a worse judgment than those who do such things. Because if you know the truth and you fail to do it, for them it is sin. And when you disobey God and you know what his word says, and you continually say, oh, I don't really care, that's what it says. I care about what Christ says. Man, you, we, we, have to care what, we have to care what he says, not what we want to do, not what 
we want people to think about us, right? I think for many, this idea that, that our land is above is, is kind of esoteric. And frankly, it's been very misunderstood in our culture through popular media, through movies, different things. And, and I guarantee if you ask most children, actually probably ask most adults, to be honest, what's it like in heaven? And they're, they're going to picture clouds, a harp, uh, there, there maybe a guardian angel. I'll, I'll become a guardian angel for my, you know, my kids, or I'll become a, gar- a guardian angel for my brother or my sister or somebody like that. We have all of these just complete misunderstandings, very unbiblical views of what heaven really is like. Now, granted, it hasn't been fully revealed, but we do know that heaven, that we're taught some things about heaven. And the first thing, I think that some of the confusion about heaven has come because there are different words for the word heaven, uh, different, different translations of this word in the scriptures. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. It says, Paul, Paul's talking here. He says, I know a man, talking about himself, in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. So, so if there is a third heaven, there's two others. And people are going to scratch their head and be like, what? What are those? There's three heavens? It's like, well, there's three heavens, meaning, number one, the sky atmosphere. So we would say, oh, the heavens, right? God created the heavens and the earth. There's a part of that that he created the atmosphere, right? He created the world. But then there's the next heaven would be space, the universe, right? So those are things that have been revealed to us completely, right? We can see, not completely, I guess we still don't know space all the way, but we at least get the idea. And so those are the first two heavens. Those are what we can get to here. Then there's the third heaven, which is heaven eternal, where God dwells that we haven't had fully revealed. And so a lot of people have taken heaven and saying, oh, we're going to be in the clouds, or we're going to be in space, we're going to be a different planet, we're going to be, no, the, thir- the third heaven is God's dwelling place. And we see that in Revelation. Uh, it's taught throughout that, and I don't have enough time to go into complete detail there to talk about what all is there. Obviously, there's, there's God, there's his throne, there's, you know, worshiping of him, there's just a lot of cool stuff. There's, you know, roads that pay with gold, and all these anthropomorphic things that we have there, like trying to either explain it through person, things we understand, or things on earth that we see. They're so much better than that, we really can't explain it. But I think what we have to realize from heaven is what's not there. And I think it's really, really important to think about what's not there. And what, what is not there is sin. Right? There's no more sin. There's no more tears. There's no more pain and sorrow. How wonderful. There's no more arthritis. I get an amen on that one. Uh, you know, th- th- there's no more stress. There's no more worry. There's no more anxiety. Oh, man. So our land is not here. We have eternity that we're going to be able to live with Christ forever without all that bad stuff and with the best thing ever, Jesus Christ, to, to be in a right relationship, a personal relationship, even better than what we have right now. We have that personal relationship, but we're going to not be marred by sin. There's not going to be that distance there. Our flesh is not going to be sinful anymore. It's going to be amazing. We could talk about that for ages, but my goal in this kind of just short excursion of, hey, toss off all the cultural things that you think about when you think of heaven, and, and let's look at the scripture. And I, and I would challenge you, read through Revelation where it talks about tw- 21, 22. You can read about the, 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 the throne room as well as you're kind of going through Revelation and see what the Bible actually says about heaven. And then it'll help you look more forward to it. Like, wow, this is great. It's not going to be something that, that, that's just not going to be like a letdown. You're not going to get to heaven and be like, man, I can't believe I did that. Like, why, why didn't I just live it up on earth? No, heaven will be greater than any earthly experience you've ever had, any earthly pleasure you've ever had. It will be so much better, I promise, my friends. It is that awesome. That is because that's what God promised. As we come to a close, 
I pray that we, that we remember we need to stay focused on our destination if we want to maintain the right direction. Say that again. We need to stay focused on our destination if we want to maintain the right direction. So just like we mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, we should think heavenward because our Lord is above, because our life is above, and because our land is above. And as we continue living our lives with Christ, I pray that we live like we're not home yet, like we haven't arrived at that destination. We're still striving. We're still driving. We're still moving toward that destination. And Building 429 wrote this song, Where I Belong. I'm sure most of you heard it. And they say, all I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. And I pray that that's your heart. Take this world and give me Jesus. You know, my destination, my land is above. My thoughts will be higher thoughts. My decisions will be higher decisions because Christ is higher. He is greater. Through his sacrificial atonement on the cross, I now have access to the greatest blessing ever created, and that is eternity with Christ. So this world, it's plagued by destination unknowns, right? Just so many destination unknowns. People live their lives, lives with this destination unknown thing. Oh, well, that's why so many commit suicide, because they think, if I get here, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be happy if I become the CEO. I'm going to be happy if I become this famous athlete. And what happens? A lot of times, suicide. Because they get there, and they're like, man, I've heard so many quotes. Uh, you know, if I knew it was this lonely on the top, I would have never tried to get there. You know, uh, Tom Brady, after winning so many Super Bowls, and he's still, now he's coming back again. So he's coming back again, right? Because he's still trying to find his fulfillment. Uh, being the greatest of all time, the best quarterback ever, has still not fulfilled him. He's still, he keeps saying there's unfinished business. What he doesn't realize is that unfinished business is with Christ. It's not with football. It's not the NFL. It's not breaking another record. It's not his passing touchdowns or his interception ratio. It's not his quarterback rating. It's unfinished business with Jesus Christ. That's what he's looking for. He just doesn't know it, or he refuses to buy into that because that would make him change his life, right? And that's what holds a lot of us back because we have to make different life decisions when we do that. This world is plagued by destination unknowns, but as a saved believer in Christ, stand firm on the destination that is known. Right? For us who are believers, it is not a destination unknown. It is a destination that is known, namely heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have given us a known destination, a place to strive to, a place to look forward to. Uh, thank you that you've guaranteed victory through your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that if anyone here has not put their faith and trust in you, that they repent or turn away from their sins and accept that free gift of salvation through you and you alone. And I pray for those of us who have made that decision to follow you, who, who have repented, who have turned away. God, may we live like we talked about today. May we think heavenwardly. May our thoughts be, be higher thoughts, not, not, not all about things that are on earth, but, but on things that are above. May we set our hearts, set our minds, seek things that are above because our Lord is above, our life is above, and our land is above. May we live such a way. May we make our decisions with that destination and directionality in mind. May we not be blinded by everything that we see on earth, all the things we can touch and feel and, and the things that are just yelling for our attention, the advertisements, the, just all the things people are telling us and encouraging us to do. May we always take a step back and say, Lord, what do you want? What does your word say? What is your spirit speaking to me through your word? 
Lord, what am I feeling convicted about? What, what, which direction am I being pushed toward? And may we follow you, Lord. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. Help us to go throughout this next week making decisions that are higher, having thoughts that are higher. We love you, Lord. Amen.